Hello, and welcome to FIRST Healthcare Compliance Podcasts. I am Catherine Short, Partnership Marketing Specialist. At FIRST Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business, a hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or a skilled nursing facility. As part of our complimentary educational podcast series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. Our topic today is security management in healthcare facilities. We have asked Steve Wilder to join us today to discuss this topic and expand on knowledge of which we should be aware. But first, a little background on Steve. Steve is the president and COO of Sorensen Wilder and Associates, a safety and security consulting group comprised of dedicated professionals with extensive experience in healthcare, educational, governmental, manufacturing, retailing, and public safety. Today, they have become the recognized industry leader in healthcare workplace violence prevention programs and healthcare active shooter preparedness programs in the United States. Steve Wilder has spent the past 32 years in healthcare safety, security, and risk management. He has provided consultation services to hundreds of clients, including hospitals, long-term care, home health care agencies, clinics, physician practices, and pre-hospital EMS services. In his corporate healthcare career, Steve served as a hospital director of risk management, as corporate director of risk management for a long-term care corporation, and as corporate director of safety and security for a healthcare system with 10 hospitals and 15 long-term care facilities. Steve has performed security vulnerability assessments and mock OSHA audits at over 200 healthcare facilities across the United States and has trained thousands of workers in workplace security and safety. As an experienced trial expert, Steve has consulted for law firms and insurance companies on issues of healthcare safety, security, risk assessment, aggression management, and workplace violence. He has also written numerous articles for healthcare magazines and trade journals. He and his partner, Chris Sorensen, are co-authors of the book, Essentials of Aggression Management in Healthcare from Talkdown to Takedown. Steve has also written monthly safety column for Long-Term Living Magazine. So Steve, let's start with the basics. What exactly do we mean when we use the term security in a healthcare facility? Well, hi, Catherine, and thanks for having me on today. Uh, Thank you. Wow, what do we mean by security in a healthcare facility? Hit me with the hardest question first, will you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that, that's always a challenge to answer that question because a healthcare facility is such a broad uh, umbrella to cover everything we do in healthcare. I mean, a healthcare facility can certainly be a hospital, it can be a long term care community, it can be a, a specific type of skilled nursing and assisted living, it can be a clinic setting, it can be an outpatient uh, setting, it can be a uh, a walk-in facility, a doctor's, you know, the, the list goes on and on. Uh, right. So I, I guess when we talk about being a healthcare facility and what do we mean by the term security, it's it's going to boil down to one really simple thing, and that is protecting people and property. When we talk about security, it's not a department of the hospital. It's not a uh, contract that you sign with some outside company to provide you with a guard. It's a process, and that process is focused on protecting people and property. Uh, how we do that is going to vary from location to location. 
you know, as you said in the introduction, we've been blessed in that we uh, we've got clients all over the United States. I think we've got clients in 46 states now, uh, and we visit everything from small rural critical access hospitals to uh, uh, large teaching hospitals, 1,200, 1,500 beds. So, uh, typically, your security management program, and that's how I'm going to refer to it. It's a program. Your security management program has to be tailored to fit your specific organization, your specific culture, and the specific environment that you're working in. Okay. Um, Is that roundabout enough? <laughs> right. yes. when, when, when we look at a security management program, you know, again, people think of when they use the term security, they picture some security officer or a security guard, and there is a definite difference between the two, a security officer and a security guard. But when they, when you use the term security, that's typically the first thing that comes into their mind, uh, is some kind of a uniform presence. And, and that's great, but that's only a component. We actually, when we look at security as a program, it's actually broken down into four quadrants. We call that the P2-T2 system. P2T2, Catherine, is actually the acronym we use for people, programs, training, and technology. And when you look at a security program, you've got to look at it holistically. You've got to look at it in all four of those critical areas. Because if any one of those critical areas have deficiencies, in other words, you know, programmatically, for example, your written policies and procedures. If you don't have well-written policies and procedures for your people to follow, then you're going to have breakdowns in your program. Breakdowns in the program result in deficiencies. Deficiencies result in vulnerabilities. Vulnerabilities result in bad outcomes. Same thing so with... How do you, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, so if, you're, if you are approaching it then holistically, how would you... Um, first start to evaluate a program, you know, if you're starting to um, starting to look at all these different um, quadrants or areas of, you know, looking at it as a whole, you know, holistically. Sure. We, we do, we use a process uh, that we call a security vulnerability assessment, or in slang we call it an SVA. A security vulnerability assessment is actually an on-site visit. And what we actually do, and I tell all of my clients this, what we're basically doing is we're becoming, we're good guys that get paid to think like bad guys. And you visit the facility, and you look at their security management program, and you look at it at all four of those quadrants, people, programs, training, and technology. And anywhere that you identify deficiencies, you identify vulnerabilities. Anywhere you identify vulnerabilities, then you'd start coming up, working up recommendations on ways that you can make improvements, or they, I shouldn't say you, they can make improvements mm -hmm. in order to minimize that vulnerability and lessen the opportunity. You know, we never want to lose sight of the fact that for a, a security event to occur, a breach of some kind to occur, we have to have three conditions met. We have to have a bad guy. That bad guy has to have a motive, and that bad guy has to have an opportunity. I'm never going to get rid of the bad guy. As much as I'd like to, he's always going to be a part of our society. I can't get rid of his motive. Motive is coming from inside of him, in his heart or in his head. The only thing I can do is focus on his opportunity. 
And if I can take away his opportunity, I then significantly lessen the chances of turning our facility into a, a target. In other words, we lessen the opportunities, we lessen the chances of something bad happening. Got it. Got it. Um, how do you then? How do you work on um, if you're thinking about um, you know if you think about the bad guy and you think about um, staff and you think about um, you know if you think about training? Um, how do you think about the um, you know random like these random bad guys who are thinking about? you know, who have been contemplating, you know, contemplating things versus, um, you know, like a domestic type of um, dispute where, um, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying, you know, Absolutely. like, um, uh, like somebody who has gone off the deep end, you know, somebody's ex-husband or, 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 um, you know, that, that kind of situation. Sure. Some domestic that dispute that has come, come, come into the public and, and um, now is, disturbing um, the rest of it in a really um, bad way. Yeah, some bad guy, somebody's husband. Never the woman that's the bad guy. It's always the guy. <laughs> well, it can't be obvious. I see how this yes. works. <laughs> and yeah, statistics. Yeah, unfortunately it can be both ways, right? <laughs> it does. And, uh, but, uh, you know, and you just, Catherine, you just hit one of the biggest targets, right? On the, you hit that nail on the head, domestic violence. Uh, so often the violence that we identify in healthcare is domestic in, in nature. Now, we want to believe that when we go to our workplace, whether it's going into a hospital or going into a doctor's office or working in an office environment as you and I do, we want to believe mm -hmm. that when we're at work, it's a haven of safety. And that's not always the case. You know, we, we've seen so many events, and, and we hear about them in the news all the time, where, you know, uh, uh, spouse is served with divorce papers and immediately he goes into a rage and his mindset is if I can't have him you can't have him uh, mm -hmm. you know, and he shows up in the workplace and wreaks havoc um, you know we worked with one out on the west coast a, a couple of years ago mm -hmm. where a guy was going through divorce and him and his wife are involved in a big bitter custody battle and he shows up at the nursing home and shoots her nine times uh, so that she wouldn't have the kids. Uh, domestic violence is such a critical danger to all of us. And one of the things that we have to look at in terms of, okay, how do we manage it in our facilities, is we have to put good domestic violence programs in place. Now, when I talk about that with my clients, the first response I usually get is, well, we've got a really good employee assistance program. Well, that's super. But you've got to get people into the employee assistance program. But you've also got to go beyond that. The, the, there's a lot of things that, you know, and, I, and I'll use the hospital again as an example since that's my biggest client base. Uh, there's a lot of things a hospital or a doctor's office or anybody else can do to protect that worker in the workplace as well as protecting all the other employees, all the patients, all the residents, and everybody. But it starts with the involved employee. They have to come forward and report it. They have to swallow their pride and come forward and confidentially report to administration that, look, I'm in a situation at home right now, and I want you to know about it, number one, so you can help protect me in the workplace, and number two, so nothing bad happens in the workplace. And once you do that, there's a lot of steps that can be taken to protect that person and to protect everybody else as well. I will say uh, two summers ago, we were working at a hospital in Virginia, and this is the only time I've ever seen this. Uh, in their HR manual, in their employee manual, they actually had a thing in there mandatory reporting 
of domestic violence in the home. So if you were the victim of domestic violence, it was a condition of employment that you would confidentially report it to your uh, supervisor or to HR. Now, huh. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know how legal that is, right. but I thought it was a, I thought it was a great step in saying, look, we're very committed to this. We want to protect our people. We want to protect everybody uh, within the, the confines of our property, but it starts with the employee in having to report. So, uh, so could I could I ask when you when we talk about training? I mean, how does how does, for example, the front desk uh, staff train? How do you do training for front desk for for either domestic or for this you know like active shooter type of situation? Like, how do you know what's what are some of the first steps or um, or do you get into that um, you know for this type of situation? You know, when when somebody starts coming coming up um, I assume you know could you talk speak to a little bit of that or no absolutely um, it, it starts with awareness level training you know we look mm -hmm. at and, and part of that P2T2 process is mm -hmm. training the first T is training we look at training for security people and we look at training for non-security people now I'll ask an, uh, I'll ask a security manager or a security director how many uh, people in your security department Typically, I'll get an answer based on his number of FTEs. Wrong answer. The correct answer is however many total FTEs the company or the organization employs because everybody in the organization has to be a part of the security department. They have to be the eyes and the ears. What was and FTE we, again? A full-time equivalent or full-time employee. Okay. Got it. So if I've got four or if I've got a dozen full-time security people, usually they'll say I've got 12. No, you've got 1,000 employees, you've got 1,000 and 12 of them are uniform security, the other 988 are going to be your eyes and ears. And we go back to the old adage, if you hear something, if you see something, you need to say something. So that's where those eyes and ears come in. So your example is a great one, that person at the front desk. You get a, an upset family member or somebody that comes in, the first thing that person does is to recognize that that person, that that visitor or that family member, that guest, whomever it is, is not a happy camper. And now we get into the training aspect of recognizing and diffusing aggressive behavior. I really, if I've got him coming in, you know, let's say the person is coming in and he's upset because he got a call in the middle of the night that mom took a fall and, and has an injury. So he's not coming in under the happiest of circumstances. So the first thing we have to do is to recognize his anger, look at it and see, is it directed anger? Is it non-directed anger? knowing that non-directed anger is not really a threat to anyone. It's just a person that's venting their frustration most of the time and knowing how to diffuse it. And that becomes such a critical part. How do we diffuse this patient's uh, aggression so that as they're in the building, they're not a threat to anyone, including themselves? You know, the same thing we apply a lot of times and bring it back to the hospitals for a minute. Think of the hospital emergency department. Ambulance brings a critical patient in Family members are coming in by car. Mm -hmm. They take the patient back to the ED and start treatment right away, appropriately enough. Mm -hmm. And when the family members come in, what's the first thing we say to them? We need you to go over there and make out a chart. So now they're not with their loved one that they're so concerned about. Step one now, the frustration starts. They get over to that registration person, and she may or may not, there I go being a gender bias now, she, that person may or may not, be busy, so they may or may not have to wait 
add another level of frustration. And now when they sit down and start to make out a chart, what are we focused on? Who's your insurance with? Do you have your insurance card? Can I see your card, please? Do you have a copay? You know, and we're doing all that. And this person could care less about that. They just want to be back there with their loved one. They want to know that they're getting care. They want to know that they're okay. And, and they want to be a part of the care process. They don't want to be messing with paperwork and all that. So they end up becoming frustrated. And who did they take the frustration out on? This poor registration clerk who's just doing his or her job. So when we start talking about awareness level training for security for, for non-security employees, you know, that's where it really starts is recognizing aggressive behavior, recognizing threats. Again, I'm in the suburbs of Chicago, 100 degrees here in the summertime. I'm sitting at the front desk and I see somebody come walking in wearing a coat. Oh. My, my awareness level better peak and say, wait a minute, this does not look right. Right. See something, hear something, say something. Right. And so, so um, what are some other areas that you should think about with um, assessing the facility besides? So we know um, assessing, um, like seeing something and, you know, looking for aggression and things like that. Um, I guess technology is another, uh, another area that we should be um, um, uh, looking for or um, talking about technology for um, taking care of the facilities and or could you tell me a little bit about that? Oh, technology. We love our toys, don't we? <laughs> and our toy salesmen love us. The, unit, the technology salespeople love us. Everybody loves Best Buy. Right? Huh? Everybody loves Best Buy, I know. Uh, yeah, exactly. And the, and the Apple store always—they don't even let you go into Best, into Apple. You, you, I tried to go into Apple the other day, and they wouldn't even let me in. You had oh, to yeah. have an appointment to go in there. Yeah, we are—we are a toy society. We want you know, and security is no different. We've got right. the technology out there, and I love the technology. Don't misunderstand me. It's right. fantastic. And in my intro, you know, you talked about the amount of stuff that we do for uh, active shooters for healthcare communities, for training and program development and stuff like that. One of the nicest pieces of technology that's rolling out on the market now is uh, active shooter detectors, where it, it's similar in design to a smoke detector. It's mounted at the ceiling, and it actually is monitoring light levels and sound levels. And if it sees a spike in light levels and a spike in decibel levels at the same time, it says, wow. hey, that must be a gunshot. Oh and it sets off an alarm system. The wow. technology is just incredible. But oh it's only, remember our P2T2, four quadrants. Technology is 25% of the equation. And I, I visit so many places where they've taken their limited security budgets and they're just pounding it into technology. And of course, these technology sales guys are sitting back there, and they're planning their next trip to, to Tahiti or something, because we're buying so much technology. We can't forget that we need to to yeah, we need the technology, but we also need the people, the program, and the training too. So we've got to make sure that we're meeting all four of those areas and not just putting all of our eggs in one basket. Technology is reactive. Wait, remind me of the four quadrants again. We've got technology is 20, 25%, and then what are the other people. What are the other three again? Yeah, people. P2T2, people, programs, which is policies and procedures mostly, training, uh -huh. and technology. Got it. Okay. Right. Now, let's keep in mind, with the exception of, of your access control, which lets people in, mm -hmm. most of your security technology is reactive. Right. 
CCTV captures something more often than not, and this is a sad statement, more often than not, CCTV systems that I see in place in healthcare facilities, they may have somebody who's supposed to be monitoring, but they've got other jobs assigned to them also, and they're not looking mm -hmm. at the cameras at all. So we use them reactively. Infant right. protection systems, the alarm has to trip before anybody responds, so we use that reactively. Wander systems in residential, in the long-term care, somebody has to trip an alarm. So everything we're happening in technology is mostly reactive. Even the active shooter detectors I talk about, you have to have a gunshot before it activates. Think of your fire alarm system, you have to have smoke before the smoke detector. So nothing proactive really, everything's reactive and it's great, but we need to make sure we're addressing it proactively too. The more we can do, again, to take away that opportunity that I talked about, the more effective we are in creating and maintaining that secure environment as opposed to responding to an event. Hmm. Well, what about, uh, okay, so, um Let's see, you when we when you were just saying about um, you know being proactive and you were talking about uh, and you mentioned um, just just now you were talking about how um, of course um, people often have other duties when they're supposed to be you know watching the cameras and things like that you know it's human nature that people get um, or that um, people are often thinking oh well you know they're supposed to be just watching you know they're supposed to be watching the cameras but you know maybe we can be utilizing them in some other way because nothing's ever happened so far and you know exactly. you know, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and that's... them to be doing something else right you know nothing's happened so far and and nothing will happen right you know well kind of and thing. we we live so many places live with that mindset it's not going right. to happen here and right. You know, it's more likely to happen in a smaller community than it is a larger community. And, right. and you know, we look, look yeah. there have been so many shootings in nursing homes in the last year. And if you look at them, most of them are in small communities of 2,500 people or less. And then have those, and have those been these kind of, uh, random or, you know, ones where someone's been thinking about it or these domestic Violence type of one. Domestic, domestic violence. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I can think of sure. five of them in the last year, right off the top of my head. Awful. Yeah, it really is, and uh, uh, you know, it's not getting any better. These events are happening more and more frequently, uh, and and seems like, and I don't want to get on a soapbox here, but right. it seems like social media just gives so many bad people ideas. Um, you know. There's video games out there. How sick can this be? There are video games out there now where you can pretend you're at Columbine High School and you're the gunman. Oh, gosh, that's terrible. Oh, yeah, it's, it's just sick what this has turned into. But people see this and, and you know, they start thinking, I could do that. So Right, right. You know, it's just, I, I kind of got sidetracked there, and I, I'm sorry <laughs> for it, but it just it, it squares, scares the sweet daylights out of me. Right. Well, if we were thinking about um, security technology on on a better track instead of on um, video games, um, what's important when we're thinking about security technology? Like, uh, you know, uh, well, one of the things, man, and you know, I, I said jokingly that the uh, integrator, the, the guy that's selling you the equipment, is planning mm -hmm. a trip to Tahiti. You really do <laughs> need to have a big relationship with those folks because they do know the technology. And you need, you need a relationship where you can trust them. Never be afraid to question why you need what they're recommending you to have. But you also want to trust them to, to make sure 
that you're getting uh, what you need. And the reason I say that is because I hear a lot of times our clients, and I'll say, well, what have you done for, and we'll go back, uh, Catherine, if we can for a minute, we'll talk again about the security vulnerability assessment. Well, how did you do that? Well, we had a, a so-and-so's husband works here, and he's a police officer. Well, I have nothing but respect and admiration for police officers, especially in this day and age. They've got a thankless job. But a police officer and a security professional are two very different things. That security officer may look at the environment and say, you really should have a camera up there. Well, that's great, but there's as many different type cameras as there are cars. And you ask him, well, what type of camera do you recommend? And all of a sudden, he's giving you that deer in the headlight look, and he says, well, a security camera. <laughs> well, yeah, I know a security camera, but what kind? What, what kind of lens do we want in there? One that records. Well, that's not the answer. There, like I said, there's so many different kinds. We want to make right. sure we're using uh, qualified people to, to design our systems so that you're getting what you need in the areas where you need them. Uh, it's just the market is so saturated with incredible technology that uh, you, you need somebody that knows what they're working with. Right. Yeah, because sometimes you have so many choices that you end up getting nothing because there's so many choices that you just end up getting so much information that it's just like, oh, I'm not going to make this yeah. decision right now because there's just too many decisions and I'll just figure it out later. And, you know, yeah, so yeah. you need somebody to help guide you and help you figure it out. All of us know people who have gone out and bought new cars only a month later to be disappointed with it because the car isn't what they thought it was going to be. The salesman did a great job presenting it, but all of a sudden it's not what you thought it was going to be, and you go back and you question it. Well, no, that was on the other model. That was on the higher model, not on this model. You know, know oh, what right. you're buying. Know what you're buying and know what you're getting. And the other thing you want to look at, too, is the warranty. Uh, you know, this technology is not designed to fail. So you should be able to negotiate with the, with the uh, uh, integrator. Uh, integrator, of course, being the, the shop talk term for the person selling you the equipment. Uh, you should mm -hmm. be able to work with your sales rep or your integrator and, and negotiate a good warranty on this equipment because, like I said, it's not designed to fail. Another thing you always want to watch out for is that you're getting what you paid for. We found one client that had paid, on average, about $500 a camera. And when we got in and we took the covers off of those cameras, we found $25 cameras. Oh, my gosh. You don't know what's under the cover. You trust your integrator that you're getting what you wanted, but you need to be darn sure. You need to see those cameras when they're going up. You need to look at them when they're up. When you're doing maintenance time, you need to make sure that if you paid for a $500 camera, you've got a $500 camera and not a $25 disposable under the cover where nobody ever notices it. Well, how would you, how would somebody who's, how would you know that? I mean, if you the cameras going to have typically are going to have some kind of a labeling or a model number or something like that on them. Okay. So you want to make sure that that's what's going in. Okay. So um, I have a question also. Then, um, if we were getting back to um, threats or things going on in your facility, what are some more common threats that you see in your practice? Mm, common threats. The greatest threat to our security in any healthcare facility are the people in the facility because we get careless. We mentioned the first one already, domestic violence. We could okay. beat that one to death all day, but let's, let's move right. on from that one for a minute. People get careless. One of the things, and again, I'll go back to the hospitals for a minute first, but I see this in the long-term care also. We have a lot of perimeter doors on our building. Oh, yes. Those doors don't all need to be open. 
but yet we leave them open. And we leave them open till 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock at night. And if you've never worked the midnight shift, think about it. You're working the desk. You've got skeletal staffing on the midnight shift. Mm -hmm. Your patients are all asleep. Your residents are asleep. All of a sudden, you hear footsteps coming down that hallway. It gets a little bit unnerving. Oh, it gave me chills. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But yet we create that environment because we're careless about our doors. So I said a minute ago, Catherine, a lot of times the people are. We've got our no smoking policies now, but we still have employees who smoke. So what mm -hmm. do they do? They prop a door open to walk across the street off campus to have their cigarette. And the whole time they prop the door open with a rock or something, anybody can get in and we mm -hmm. don't know about it. You know, bad guys think like this. They're looking for that opportunity we talked about earlier. We get careless and complacent inside the building. We see a person who's around there a lot, not wearing an ID badge, he's not an employee, but he's always here, he must be okay. Somebody should be challenging that person. You know, we, we've got to start taking responsibility, not just looking at the security department and saying, you're responsible for creating a secure environment. No, every one of us are. And it starts with our day-to-day -day habits, and it starts with being aware. And, and you know, as I said, we, we become our own threats. We shoot ourselves in the foot. A lot of times, the, the, the common threat, too, we have outdated policies. Uh, you know, there's just been a big push lately from uh, everybody's focused on the emergency operation plans because CMS has come out with the new EOP standards that went into effect in November, and now they've given us guidelines that our EOPs have to meet. Well, I wish somebody would do this on security. I wish there would be better guidelines for security. The, the accrediting bodies, the Joint Commissions of the World and the other accrediting bodies, their security standards are really relaxed. They'll tell you what you have to have, but they don't care if it's right or wrong as long as you can show them that you have it. I'm not a big fan of that. I'd much rather have some type of codified standards uh, that we hold ourselves to to provide a secure environment. And I know there's some of my colleagues out there that would disagree with me, and I respect their opinions. I'm just sharing with you my thoughts and my observations from my own experiences in this industry. Absolutely. Any other good common threats that you see? Oh, I've probably scared the sweet bejeebies out of everybody by now. I have a way of doing that, I'm told. <laughs> you know, I, I, I guess I, I just want people to realize they have to be responsible. You know, in my intro, uh, one of the things we didn't mention in there, and I guess I'll just throw this out there for a minute, uh, I've got dual backgrounds. I have 30-some years now in healthcare, safety, and risk management, but I also was a firefighter for 35 years. And... In our fire station, uh, in, the, in the apparatus room, we had a slop sink with a mirror over it. And in, in, on that mirror at the bottom, years ago, somebody put up a sticker, and as best of my knowledge, it's probably still there. And that sticker said, when you look in this mirror, you see the person most responsible for your safety. And I never lost sight of that, me that, me me that message. And the same thing applies when we talk about security. When you look in the mirror, you see the person most responsible for your safety, your security, and your well-being in the workplace, whether it's that 1,500-bed hospital or that small doctor's office. We've got to take responsibility for ourselves. We can't pawn it off on anybody else, another department, or any other entity. How true. How, that's, that's so true. That is so true. That's so true. That's so true when you're riding in a car, when you're Absolutely. driving. Absolutely. That's true. Absolutely. You know, one, one of our... Hotter training programs right now is a program called Street Safety for the Traveling Employee. And it's designed for folks like hospice, home care, and people like that to train mm -hmm. them to be safe. And, and people, we just don't think about this. And mm -hmm. here I go on here I go on a tangent again, mm -hmm. Catherine. 
uh, I'll use my little sister as an example. I call her my little sister. She's <laughs> 10 years younger than I am, uh, but she's still an old woman. <laughs> um, and, and I'm brave when she's not on the phone with me. She works in the hospice environment. Uh, her name is Becky. She has a license plate on her car that says Becca, B-E-C-C-A, and the number one. Now, I'm a bad guy. Let's think like a bad guy for a minute. Like I said earlier, I'm a good guy. gets paid to think like a bad guy. Okay. I see a car in the parking lot with a license plate that says Becca 1. Right off the bat, I know there's probably a very good chance that that car is being driven by a female. So probably right off the bat. Guess. Huh? <laughs> good guess, right? Yeah, exactly. And I see yeah. this all the time. Of course, I'm conditioned. I see it, and it says uh, Sandy RN. I know that's probably a female nurse. Right. If there's a female nurse, she might have drugs in that car. And, you know, years ago, there was a, a home care nurse assassinated, shot seven times in the back down in Indianapolis, Indiana, visiting a site in a housing project to provide services to a good resident, you know, good resident in, in a bad place. But they, the bad guys, the thugs figured she's an RN, she must have drugs. So they gunned her down hoping she had drugs, and she didn't have anything they wanted. Okay. And she lost her life because of it. So, you know, we need to be responsible for ourselves. Uh, home care nurses, I talk to them all the time, and when we give them our suggestions for minimizing their vulnerabilities, they look at me like I'm a freak uh, and I'm busy enough. I'm not going to take the time to do all that. Well, I'm asking you to spend an hour the night before planning your days, planning your routes and stuff like that so that you're going home safe to your family, to your kids, to your loved ones at the end of each day because the alternative, we don't know... We believe it's good for us, but it's bad for them still. Good advice. Very good advice. Well, I have a question. Um, I think actually that's that's a good way to to think about um, to think about ourselves and to think about um, about our life out in the uh, in our environment. And I'm wondering if you have a way for us to um, get. Um, better in touch with with you or with uh, Sorensen Wilder and Associates. Do you have a, a way for um, for our listeners to to get in touch with you? Absolutely. Uh, our website uh, for Sorensen Wilder and Associates is www. If you didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> we w- know that w- now. You know that now. Okay. <laughs> we w- all know w- that w- now. <laughs> <laughs>
learn from somebody else's experiences so you don't experience the same. And we get a lot of positive feedback on it. So if any of your listeners want to uh, uh, be on that distribution list, uh, they can just drop me an email at swilder, that's S-W-I-L-D-E-R, at S-W-A, the number four, and the word safety.com as well. And I'll make sure they get on that uh, distribution list. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, very good. And um, do you guys have any, like, do you have, um, like, LinkedIn or anything like that? Or yeah. um, uh, I'm on LinkedIn individually. My name is Steve Wilder. Okay. Uh, and we're also on Twitter at, uh, at Sorensen Wilder, S-O-R-E-N-S-E-N-W-I-L-D-E-R. Okay. And then we've also got a Facebook page, so we're out there. Oh. Perfect. Plenty, of, Perfect. plenty of ways to find us and ask questions. And uh, okay. I, tell all of our, I tell all of our clients and friends this, you'll never get a bill for a question. <laughs> great. Great. Well, Not your well, attorney. <laughs> great. We are, we are too. So we'll, um, so we'll make connections on there too, and all of our listeners can um, connect with us also on there. Um, and you can find that um, on our webpage, which I'll mention that in just a sec. But um, I think I'll go ahead and wrap us up here. So... Um, so I'll say um, you can register for um, any, uh, our listeners can register for any um, uh, future. We have webinars, we also have podcasts, um, and you can register for a demo of our compliance solution also on our website. And our website is firsthcc.com or call us at 888-543-4778. And um, thank you, Steve, so much for joining us today. We super appreciate it, and it was a great conversation, lots to think about and um, really some wonderful insights. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Sleep well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Catherine. It's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Thank you, and thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay, bye-bye.